First of all, a, uh, a word of explanation of some of the themes and passages that we will be following both in January and also throughout this year. Um, just behind the scenes, there is a lot of thought goes into what's called the church lectionary, a selection of readings that follows a cycle. And uh, the cycle uh, goes through years A, B and C, Matthew, Mark and Luke. So this year we're, we're looking at Luke's, sorry, Matthew's Gospel, year A, um, so a lot of our readings will be focusing on Matthew and bringing out some of the distinctive characteristics. Um, so that's why we are following Matthew. The other uh, thing to note is that as we go through the cycle of the church year, for the first uh, six months or so, we follow the major features of Jesus' public ministry. So we've been through uh, Advent and Christmas, as you hadn't noticed, um, We've also been through Epiphany. That may have slipped by the past week, but Epiphany is the fact that the, uh, the, the wise men from the East visited um, months, if not even a couple of years after Jesus' birth and recognised that Jesus was an exceptional child. And that is what we have just celebrated in the past week. And now we move into the baptism of Jesus, the commencement of his public ministry. Just explaining a little bit as to the sequence of where we are moving. Having said that, um, I also want to just let you up front to know what I'm hoping to address in the uh, reflection on God's word this morning. When I've been uh, teaching, preaching and homiletics to uh, students over the years, one of the, the, uh, the two golden rules is, it's what you leave out that makes for a good sermon, um, I'll leave that one to one side and you can judge that bit. The other thing I say is write in one line what's your main focus, what do you want to see as an outcome for the sermon and have that written at the top of each page as you prepare. And I try and discipline myself to, to keep that focus in view. So let me give you up front of what I'm hoping to see as an outcome of our reflections this morning. And that is to renew our loyalty, our awe, our appreciation for the person of Jesus and the mission and ministry he accepted. That is where at the start of a year, it will be picked up in the intercessions that Fiona will lead us, is that we don't just nod our heads and say, that's all interesting. But yes, this is someone who is hearing and interceding for each and every one of us. This is the relationship, the person that we love and we trust and we are willing to lay down our life for. So that's where I want to land at the end of our reflections. So last week I talked about the word liminal and how the last few years have been described as a liminal space. We've we know that the world won't be quite the same as it has been in the past. And we're not quite sure what lies ahead. And we used the imagery of a maze last week that we know that we can't just stay where we are. Time moves us on. It doesn't stand still. But we're never quite sure what's around the next corner. And to recognise that there are unanticipated impacts on our life has been the reality that we have uh, experienced, um, the world has experienced for the last uh, two years at least. So we had that notion of liminal and we talked about recognising that even though we don't know what lies ahead, we do know 
who accompanies us in that journey. That God, the Alpha and the Omega, the one who has all time, past, present and future in his hands, is the one who has pledged himself to accompany us wherever that journey through the maze takes us. So the word liminal describes the threshold moment as we step through a doorway with all the unknowns that it brings, all the possibilities and potential, but the anxieties, and to know we make that step into that unknown in the most reliable of company. This week I want to focus on the baptism of Jesus, which is the feature for this Sunday, as Jesus's liminal moment. Jesus crossed the threshold, metaphorically speaking, into his public ministry from this moment. Two of the Gospels don't tell us anything about that. Certainly Mark's Gospel um, just brings us straight into this moment where Jesus appears on the scene. Matthew and Luke tell us more about the relationship between John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, and Jesus stepping into that public space, stepping out of his private space. This is Jesus' liminal moment of saying yes to the mission that he has been sent to fulfil. So I'm going to start, we're going to explore the question why, but I want to start just trying to enter into the, the physicality of that moment. Jesus knew John the Baptist. He's his cousin. They knew each other and Jesus would have been aware of John's ministry. And people were, were gathering around John the Baptist as someone who uh, was fulfilling the ministry of a prophet of Yahweh who hadn't been seen or heard uh, for centuries in Israel. And this prophet comes on the scene and causes an enormous stir and disruption and calls people back to say, we need to, to turn direction, we need to repent and recognise the purposes that God has before us as a people. And then Jesus joins the queue of those lining up to respond to that call. Just listen to this clip for a moment and just try and sense the, for me I was trying to set aside the music in the background which is sort of inevitable, but focus on the flesh and blood reality of it just for a few moments.
think what I appreciated about that was the the sound of the water and the, the reality of that moment. It's impossible for us to uh, to quite imagine just the enormity of it, but it does raise a profound question. Given that John has been given the ministry of calling people to repentance, to confess their sins, why did Jesus present himself for baptism? Of all people, he did not need to repent of anything. So the question is raised, why was Jesus baptised? Apologies for the American spelling, I couldn't change that particular slide. So let's explore a little bit more as to behind what's going on in this moment that is so significant to the ministry and the mission that Jesus was accepting. First of all, there's a line that was used, and I loved the way it was expressed, that, John, what you are doing is right, is what Jesus said. And it's picking up this line that um, in Matthew's Gospel was expressed as, Jesus said, we must do this. It's interesting he says, we, both John and I, must do this to fulfill all righteousness. And that means it's to do the right thing according to God's purposes. What they're doing is good and right in terms of God's expectation, God's mission. Jesus is fulfilling the whole purpose of him being sent into the world out of God's love. And now he's stepping into the realities of that mission and ministry, all that God requires. Jesus, at the very least, is giving an example of obedience, of saying yes and entering into that journey, into that space. So both John and Jesus are now identifying that what is happening at this moment isn't just a personal exchange, wasn't just something between cousins, but this was something that was very significant and necessary for the mission of God to bring about redemption and salvation and to get the, the whole trajectory of history back onto the track of where it was intended to go. Matthew provides more detail than any of the other accounts that we have of Jesus' baptism. He continues, and uh, he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him, that is, upon Jesus. <clears throat> now, I'm not exactly sure the whys of the imagery of a dove. Why not another bird? Why not an eagle? Why not a, another image? And again, it's an evocative image that draws on other moments where God has entered into the world and brought about profound change. The spirit of God over the waters evokes that moment in creation where the breath of God, the spirit of God, enters into the darkness that was hovering over the deep and brings light into the world. The dove, you might remember, from the story of Noah, that after the, uh, the, the relentless rains and floods and the covering of all land, all seeable, viewable land, that the dove is sent out and eventually the dove returns with a branch, a twig in its beak for Noah. And from that moment, the new life begins to emerge. The floods recede, the, the, the ground appears, and the new beginning is established. 
So I think we are supposed to, to feel that imagery, that something new, something profound, something hope-filled, something bringing light out of darkness is, a, is now commencing in and through this moment for Jesus. And then we have one of the uh, three occasions where a voice from heaven, God, becomes a speaker into the dialogue. Every other occasion, God is perceived or glimpsed or spoken of. But three times, God speaks into that space. Jesus' baptism, the transfiguration, and upon the cross. With this moment, in the, trans, in, uh, the baptism of Jesus, a voice from heaven said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Now each phrase of that actually has a, a background that evokes the, the son is the son of God, the Messiah, the one who is, is uh, raised up to be the king of Israel. Psalm 2 talks about that as a coronation moment that in the moment of coronation the king becomes the honorific son of God. So this is a moment in which the kingship of Jesus is being affirmed. But with him with whom I am well pleased picks up the echoes of the servant figure in Isaiah. The servant who is sent and will suffer as a result of the mission that he takes on as the one sent by God. So this is giving the assurance. And interesting, in Matthew um, identifies that this wasn't just a voice that, that Jesus heard or John the Baptist heard. But this was a voice that the crowd heard a moment in which they are given an amazing glimpse that in this moment of the dove descending, heaven is open and is in breaking out onto, the, onto earth. And that becomes the characteristic of Jesus' ministry, that glimpses of heaven shines upon people's lives and moments and neighbourhoods and wider communities. And a touch of heaven is drawn down into earth. It could be seen by those who had that amazing experience of being uh, literal eyewitnesses of Jesus' earthly life. We can still behold it through the eyes of faith as we hear these accounts, this testimony. And we recognise that these, these events have changed everything. So we have this affirmation around the role of Jesus. And as I said there's a sense of identification. When Jesus was baptised, it wasn't just a one-on-one -on -one encounter. Jesus joined the crowd as they gathered before John. And as they were being baptised for their forgiveness, for their redemption, to have their relationship with God cleansed and re-established, Jesus joined that crowd that crowd recognises the people of Israel. That crowd encompasses all those who have come for baptism. When we have been baptised, whether as infants or as adults, we're asked a series of questions. Do you turn to Christ? I turn to Christ. Do you repent of your sins? I repent of my sins. Do you renounce evil and all that is, all that is wrong? We renounce all evil. Jesus is identifying with us in this moment. 
as we identify with the crowd, recognising our need to return to God. And there we see the connection between the baptism of Jesus and the greater mission of Jesus that will end up upon the cross, his death and his resurrection. We want to go into the deep waters of theology at this moment. We recognise in the imagery of the Father who speaks, the Spirit who breaks out from heaven and ascent, and the response of the Son, we see the Trinity. We glimpse Father, Son and Spirit working together. There's a wonderful Greek word for it. It's called perichoresis, mutual indwelling. What one does, all are doing. This is God at work. Each has a distinctive role within that work of God. The Father has a distinctive role. The Son has a distinctive role. The Spirit has a distinctive role. But they are working in such harmony at that moment. This is God hearing our need and response and recognising the need for redemption and responding to it. So the, the left is an icon of those three, the Father who sent the Son and has been empowered, enabled by the Spirit together to work to, to fulfil this, this ministry. The right-hand symbol is the traditional Celtic image. And the reason I love it is that those three different uh, spheres are all intertwined. If you follow that line, it, it is never-ending. They, they are one, yet they are three distinctive ones. Then you have the circle binding them together as one. At this moment, God is acting. And Jesus is fulfilling that obedience, that yes to the mission that the Father has sent. And the Spirit is then enabling it and will drive it. The next episode that happens immediately after this is the temptation of Jesus in the desert. So where does that leave us as we reflect on a moment that is both identifiable, water and washing and going down into the water and being raised up? We can identify with that experience. But we recognise it as part of something that is just bigger than our ability to comprehend that culminates with the death and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus. I haven't been able to track who is the artist behind it. This appears a number of times, but none of the places that actually uses it. So if anyone can trace it for me, I'd love to know who the artist is because it just draws together the, the enormity of this moment and all that it represents. So where does that leave us as we respond? First of all, we recognise that in our baptism, in our saying yes to following Jesus, we are entering into that same mission of God. We are incorporated into the mission of Jesus as his people, as his body. This now becomes our mission. And the spirit that enabled Jesus is the same spirit that enables us to do what is otherwise impossible. But God is at work through us as we continue that mission and ministry in the name of Jesus, incorporated into that mission work. But we also have at that moment the recognition that we, we receive the full benefits of Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection. All that Jesus accomplished becomes ours. In the moment of baptism, symbolically, 
matter whether we're dipped or dunked or whatever form it takes, when we rise in the moment of baptism to new life, we receive the, the washing clean, we receive the fresh start, we receive the new creation, the new beginning, the new birth, the hope that comes with it. This becomes our inheritance as we are drawn into this work of Jesus. So to finish, I'm going to play a piece now. The music is by Lauren Daigle, who we had last week. The songs talk about how God hears our cries and responds. But I want you to focus this week not so much on the words of the song, although the words are great, but focus on the imagery. Someone has mixed it with some glimpses about where did this moment take Jesus in his mission? And how did he change people's lives What does it tell us about why does Jesus above all other names who we worship and say yes to? And may that spirit lead to a renewal as we approach a new year, wherever the journey takes us, renewed in our sense of saying yes, we praise you, we worship you, we love you and we trust you.